Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, thank you so much. This is this is the third episode we're dropping this week, and it's a, a very special one. Uh, I'd like to start by thanking, you know, Kevin McCarthy's team, Steve Scalise's team, Elise Stefanik's team. We did a live event with the House leadership. I mean, how quick have we grown up, right? This I mean, I got to tell you, it, it takes a lot of guts to in, invite the horse fighting podcast uh, yeah, uh, to truly. the House of Representatives, but they did it. They did it, and uh, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. Great questions. Packed house, uh, by the way. Packed. Standing room only, literally. Dude. I look out there. There's there's folks standing all across the back. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. You love to see it. It's great, man, and and great answers. A great sneak peek into you know what House Republicans will do if we can get back this majority in the midterms, and we got to play a game. And, and you know yeah. what I really loved uh, is uh, Elise Stefanik saying that. We will earn the majority because you notice the, that oh, I loved it so much. So hearing good, that, earning the majority. Um, it's not of, winning, not winning. It's earning. Yep. And uh, that says so much about the mindset. It's the right mindset to be in. And the theme. I mean, it's a beautiful theme. Celebrating Biden's first year in office. What a celebration! <laughs> right. A big beautiful theme. Yeah. <laughs> incredible. It's been uh, clearly it's been a great year. Yeah. America, uh, very happy people. Everyone loves it. All right. So let's get right to it. Well, I'm Josh Holmes. This is Comfortably Smug, Michael Duncan, for those of you who don't know. I do think this we've come a long way for a horse-fighting podcast here to be uh, actually <laughs> with the leadership of the Republican Party on the ascent, on the ascent. And we're here to commemorate one year of one-party rule in Washington, D.C., and all of that, what that means, which is not good, none of it, right? And I think the best place to start is the first thing that you all had to encounter that has now had profound economic ramifications here that we're currently feeling and American families are feeling across this country. And it is their immediate $2 trillion worth of spending. Uh, what was most impressive to me is that any time you come off of a difficult election, the m most difficult thing for Republican leadership to do is to try to corral the troops and make sure that everybody's upbeat and facing an opposition that they know are trying to jam $2 trillion down your throat and present a united front. You guys were able to do that. Talk to me about the beginning of those, those days. Well, you got to think about what they did. Prior to a year ago, we would do anything bipartisan when it came to COVID. They took over, no longer talked to us. Then they go to $2 trillion, We knew that was too much money. I mean, put it in perspective. When we had the financial meltdown and we had to spend money to save the economy, all the banks, it was like $800 billion, right? I mean, 9% of it went to COVID. The most part of COVID was the title of the bill. And think about well, a year later, we can't get tests, and they had all this money. And our biggest fear was, you're going to create inflation. And a year later, we were right. It wasn't that hard to corral people because they read the bill and they understood where it was. I mean, that, that's something. It says something about leadership, though, when people are able to actually get past the politics. Can you Is come to our conference and explain <laughs> Because we're in this room every week. We've well, got a couple I, members in the front row. That's usually not what happens. 
<laughs> well, I've lived it, right? Yes, I've, yes, I've yes. been on the leadership side, and I understand when people actually have access to the information rather than the politics of the time. Because what everybody forgets now is that then this guy had a 65% approval rating. Oh, and rem right. remember where we were. We were plus nine with identification to be a Democrat. I mean, he came in with the best ability to govern. He has the Senate, he has the House, he has the numbers. And had he done nothing in office, had he just slept, he'd have better numbers today. Yeah, <laughs> no question about it. Mr. Scalise, tell us about uh, when you go home and you travel across the country raising money and, and doing you know, events for people and, and talking to constituents. What are they saying about inflation? What are they saying about the economy? The biggest problem people talk about is inflation. You know, the cost of goods, the things that they buy when they go to the grocery store. Gas prices, for goodness sake. Uh, there are a lot of people nowadays that can't even fill up their tank because once you get over $100, people really do start getting nervous because they're watching that number go. We were paying less than $2 a gallon just a year ago. President Trump had got us to be energy dominant. We were exporting oil, natural gas to other allies around the world. And then Biden, day one, shuts it all down. And people are paying the price. And what's really important, and you see this everywhere you go, when I travel, they have equated all of this crazy spending, trillions, not billions, to the higher cost that they're paying. You know, this $1.9 trillion bill, a lot of that money, as Kevin said, not only had nothing to do with COVID, Paying people not to work has led to the labor shortage, and that also adds to making it harder to find goods on the shelves. You know, bare, bare shelves Biden, the hashtag that's trending on Twitter, because people see it every day. You can't find workers. They bailed out failed states that were flush with cash. All with this money, they didn't do it to help workers, to help families that were struggling. They actually made it worse. That's what people are the angriest about, and then they see the incompetence on everything from domestic to foreign policy. Remember what they were able to do? They were able to send checks to people so that Boston bomber in prison got his check. And we warned him about that too. Yeah, well, just, they said nothing? We put an amendment up, they voted it down. <laughs> One of the fact checkers actually out there in Washington, you know, watch these fact checkers, they gave four Pinocchios to Senator that. Cotton, who said the Boston bomber is going to, he wasn't even vague about it, the Boston bomber is going to get a check. They actually gave him four Pinocchios. They had to go back. They didn't give, they didn't get rid of all of them. They reduced it to one and a half Pinocchios, except it happened. The Boston bomber <laughs> got, actually got a check. About how many oh, no. did Madoff get a check? They all qualify. I just, there I just, is going to be a prisoner in every single Democrat's district that got money. I don't know if they could vote for him, but we'll have to explain it to him. I just, I just love the idea that reality gets to put Pinocchios still. <laughs> <laughs> this day and age, that's fact-checking, right? Wonderful. Republican says it, it's got to have a Pinocchio. <laughs> so tell me, Ms. Stefanik, uh, you have been very responsible, in my mind, at bringing different voices to the House Republican Conference, helping to recruit people, but also just making people, um, I think, more available to be the faces of Republican conference and, and bringing different perspective, which in my view is extremely important in an economic debate. Absolutely. So I'm grateful to have the support of my colleagues, particularly Leader McCarthy and Whip Scalise. Last year, you don't read about this in the mainstream media, but last year was the year of the Republican woman. When we won last election cycle, we went from 13 women to over 30. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. 
I do appreciate you asking that question, Josh, because this feels like five guys and a lady, little talk show here. Um, we're going to do even better next year. This is going to be the most diverse class of candidates. Our candidate recruits are just incredible, uh, and, and we are going to earn a historic majority. And as conference chair, it's not only about our spokespeople, our members of Congress, but it is about the message. And my focus has been making sure that we have a unified message on issues that actually matter to the American people. Because oftentimes in the media, particularly the DC press corps, they wanna talk about distractions, issues that when I'm home at my district, people aren't talking about. That's why we have focused on prosecuting the case on the inflation crisis, on the crime crisis, on the supply chain crisis, because that's what matters to voters in this country. And the proof is in the polling. There is not a single president who has fallen faster and farther in polling than Joe Biden. <laughs> you all, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to avail yourself of the opportunity to see uh, our president yesterday in his press conference. It was quite something, wasn't it? Um, what struck me off the bat was the alternate reality that he had created for himself and apparently Democrats about all of the success that they've had in the economy. Do you hear it from your, from your Democratic colleagues? Does anybody actually believe that? And if so, have they ever talked to anybody other than themselves? We opened the show with 28 Democrats announcing retirement. <laughs> what we really should do, we should go around here and we should, we should do a wager. How many Democrats will retire? And put it in perspective. In 2010, when they knew they were going to lose and lost 63 seats, 17 Democrats retired. We're in a year of redistricting where half is not even done yet, but 28 have announced. I think it'll be 35. It could be higher, or it could be lower, but the highest number ever was 1992-40. But you know why that was? Because that was the year they passed the bill that if you ran in 92, you no longer could take your campaign money for retirement. Oh, that's right, yeah. So it wasn't about political, but this will be the highest year by far. That's in incredible. And look, if there's one thing members know is what the climate is. Right. In the last cycle, we targeted 55 Democrats. Of those, of those we targeted, only one of the targeted retired. I mean, Ron Kind is retiring. Stephanie Murphy is retiring. Sherry Bustos, the DCCC chair who talked about becoming speaker. The budget chair, more than... 15% of the cardinals of the Democrats on appropriations. I mean, those who are the leaders of the Black Caucus. I mean, this is the leadership of the Democrats. And no one will answer whether Pelosi's going to be around or not. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it comes down a lot of it, just like Chairwoman Stefanik said, is that the message that each party is bringing to the table. You see that the Republicans are united in discussing, you know, the kitchen counter issues, the price of gas, cost of groceries, if you can get the groceries that you need at the store. And you have the Democrats who are trying to explain how the filibuster works to the American people. <laughs> and Whip, Whip Scalise likes to talk about there is not a single bill that Democrats have brought forward to address any of the crises. Not a single bill to address inflation. Bills to make it worse, the largest spending bill in our nation's history. Not a single bill to address the crime crisis. Not a single bill to address the border crisis. You talk about that all the time. Yeah, and we bring these bills up. We've got Republican bills to get our economy back on track, to get us back to being energy dominant. We weren't there, it wasn't that long ago. A year ago, we produced enough oil and natural gas for our country and the whole world. Gas prices were you know, less than $2 a gallon. If you look at all the bills that have been filed by Republicans to address all these crises, securing the border, it's not a mystery what you need to do. You just need to put those smart policies back in place. They won't bring any of those bills to the floor. And you would think maybe they've got their own bills. 
they don't. Here's yet another week where we had no bills to address inflation, to address the border crisis, to address gas prices, any of this stuff. They don't want to solve these problems. They've created them. Biden yesterday tried to reinvent history and say that nothing's, there's no problem, there's no inflation. He wouldn't even do anything differently. No apologies on Afghanistan, for God's sake. Not even to the 13 service members and their families who lost their lives. Jen Psaki spent more time trying to mop up the mess from his press conference than the two hours he spent trying to lay out what he's done for the last year. <laughs> yeah, I had the pleasure of, of uh, going right after Jen Psaki this morning. And I mean, she was like twisting herself into pretzels to try to explain to people that he didn't say exactly what he did say, right, on, on a myriad of different issues. But you should have followed the vice president. Could have done the same thing. <laughs> She's worse, to be honest. Well, I mean, okay, how many Democrats that are up for re-election are requesting the president, the vice president, or Pelosi to come to their district. Oh, it's great. I mean, think about that. I mean, if really there is go? one, they're, they're in deep trouble. Yeah. Right? I'll bet you Jimmy Carter gets requested before the president. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one improvement that Biden has done in the last year, it's how we look at Carter's presidency. <laughs> Carter loves Biden. He's <laughs> like, finally, yeah, I'm not right. the worst president. Right. right. So what does it tell you when you have all these challenges facing this country and you get one party, Democrats have the House, the Senate, the, the presidency, in the very first piece of legislation, H.R. 1, S. 1, the very first thing that they want to do is to try to build insulation to get them to keep themselves into power. But remember, that was their very first bill last Congress too. So when they took the majority, when they fought to win the majority, the first place they looked at protect themselves. It's amazing. Then they win the Senate and they win the White House. Let's make sure we protect ourselves. That says so much about who they are. It's incredible, right? Yeah. I mean, it, that doesn't get nearly enough attention. They did not run to win to help the American public. They ran and won. And the first thing they thought, how do we make sure we game the system so we're still in power? I mean, it's a little it's fishy about, when one party controls the White House, the Senate, and the House, and the first thing they want to do is federalize elections. <laughs> <laughs> and ban picture ID. I mean, think about this. In D.C., you can't get into a restaurant without a picture ID and a vax card, but they're yeah. saying to vote. You, you, not only you shouldn't, they ban those states. And most states have picture ID law. You can't get on an airplane uh, without a picture ID. But they also want to put billions of dollars into their own campaign accounts. That's in that bill, too. Yeah. Think about that. They do six to one. But they, do, they take taxpayer money. So if, you, if, if that passed, Schumer would get $40 million of taxpayer money for his campaign. I mean, just well, I mean, it happens in New York City. They've got a matching fund system, and it's completely absurd. There are people who run with no intention of being a serious candidate just to collect but they defunded money. The cops. But the interesting thing, too, is they expanded it further. You don't have to be an American to vote anymore. It's, right. it's incredible. I mean, it's a glimpse of pretty much yeah. what yeah. they're trying to put in place across the country. Yeah. That's actually a good uh, transition, because I think the second major crisis that they stumbled us into, which was entirely foreseeable, was the border crisis that we're ex still experiencing. You all spent a lot of time and effort helping the Trump administration sort of fortify our border security and figure out a real solution, a remain in Mexico policy. All the things that actually were working in the Trump administration were immediately reversed. How disappointing was that to see that in the immediate? Uh, I'm going to give our conference a lot of credit on this. And we got Carlos Amino in the front seat, a um, freshman member, and he went with with me and another other, other members, we went down in February or March, at the very beginning, one of the first ones through. And I remember as we go into the center, we had built this beautiful new center on the Trump administration. 
that day was the first day. We never thought it'd fill up. That was the first day that it filled up. And you were communicating with some people from Honduras and others. And he asked them how long they'd been, about a month coming up here and why. Well, President Biden asked us to. Yep. That was the reply. But the worst part about it, so we're, we're with the border agents and we're, we're along the wall. And they said they've never seen anything like this where you'd have like 300 men jam the system. First they'd put a bunch of children, then these men would come go over the system, the fentanyl. They said, you know, we're catching people on the terrorist watch list. I said, what? Yeah, they said, it's coming from 100 different countries. No, we're catching people on the terrorist watch list from Yemen. So we go down, we do a press conference. I announced it because they just told me that. We got Ruben Gallegos, a Democrat in there. He says to me, he puts it on Twitter, Kevin, you're lying. That um, I get just the briefings that you get. That's a lie. So we had to come out the next day where we made um, the secretary bring out that, yeah, now they will no longer tell you who they're catching on the border. And the worst part, too, is the fentanyl that's coming across. That's what I was going to ask. No, it's not the border cities anymore. It's every city in America. And we got Jim Jordan in the front row, too. He's worked a lot on this. But this fentanyl, you... Every person should go to their city, talk to their corner, because what you're finding is innocent young kids who are stupidly buying something they don't know, and it's laced with it, and it's, they're waking up dead, and there's enough fentanyl here today to kill every single American seven times over. And you know where it comes from? China. That's right. Yeah. Well, good thing, because we've got a border czar to deal with all of that, <laughs> Vice President Harris. Well, she's done a great job, right? If you count the number of times Harris has been there and the president. Now, the president's been in office, what, 40-some years? <laughs> the closest he came to the border was driving through San Antonio. And the vice president went there one time. San Antonio's a long way from the issue there. <laughs> well, and all of us have been to the border. majority of our conference has been to the border. And when you go there, it's not like you're hearing 10 different things from 10 different people. We, we got embedded with the Border Patrol agents, and they take you around, and they'll tell you what the problems are. These are heroes. I mean, they're risking their lives to keep our country safe. They want to keep out the drug dealers. They want to do their job. And Biden gave them orders to basically take them off of the post and make them go to places like the Donna Detention Facility uh, to, to be babysitters so that the drug dealers know that I can just come across freely now. Remain in Mexico policy was one of those great agreements President Trump got early off. A lot of people were surprised he got an agreement with Mexico to keep people that want to seek asylum, most of them over 90% are rejected, keep them in Mexico to make the claim. Biden got rid of that, didn't replace it with anything. He knew it would lead to open borders. And so this is all predictable. The Border Patrol agents tell you what to do, but Biden deliberately stopped building the wall, got rid of those policies, and it sent a signal, not just across South and Central America. Uh, over 150 countries are represented coming across our border illegally. Mm -hmm. He just turned Afghanistan over to a terrorist organization. You don't think they want to infiltrate our borders? They don't need to get on a plane. They just come through the southern border, across the Rio Grande, and Biden's going to let them in. Now, he won't let you, he wants to fire healthcare workers if they don't have a vaccination, but you could come across our border illegally, unvaccinated with COVID, and you get in, they give you an airplane ticket and send you to middle, middle America and don't even tell the governor of that state that you're coming. That's what they're doing right now. And I'm particularly proud of our members. It's not just the border districts, it's not just the border states. The border security issue, the border crisis impacts every congressional district in America, in America every state in America, whether it's the drug overdoses increasing. My district, I represent the northern border, not in the news quite a lot at all, but border patrol agents who I represent have transferred over and over and over again to 
the southern border. And meanwhile, while Joe Biden has the southern border wide open, he kept the northern border closed to important trade yeah. with between U.S. and Canada. I see Bill Heisinga. He knows that from Michigan as well. It's a huge issue, but this impacts every community in America. It's not just our southern border states. Well, it, maybe President Biden just sees this as a minor incursion, you know? Not, not <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was Someone smug. tweet that one. That smug. was very good. <laughs> Well, the, the thing is that struck us, and we did interviews with a whole bunch of your members on this, and, and representing a lot of border districts, right? Tony Gonzalez, I remember in Texas, we talked to for a, a long time about not only was he, what he was seeing, but his attempts to talk to this administration. And, and he, he couldn't get a returned phone call from the vice president, who was supposed to be the, the border czar on this. Do you, or your it's members? Not just him, Democrat members have stopped. Is that right? With her, yeah. And I'll tell you an interesting thing. That this president, when he told us a year ago that he was going to work for all Americans, right? So the first time we had a meeting was, I think, at 100 days. So he had the four leaders into the Oval and just him and the vice president. We were talking infrastructure or something. And we got to the end. I said, Mr. President, I want to talk to you about two issues, right? We can't get people to work. And you know, no, no, I solved all that. No, no, you're paying people extra so they're staying home. you got to get outside. And I said... The border. I just went down like talked to. He goes, oh no, I fixed it. It was broken. I fixed the border. He literally said. Then he asked me if I wanted a cookie. <laughs> Come on, you're making that up. Oh no, he's very excited. Go get I, cookies. I fixed yeah. the border and have a cookie. We fixed the border. Then at the end, went, you want a cookie? I'll get you a cookie. <laughs> and then, then the staff was in the other room. There was no staff. And when we were walking, he walks in there. You guys want cookies? I'll get you a cookie. <laughs> I wonder if that's like a staff secret that they have. Like, if you need to, he get was very show up. Cookies. Here's what you guys say at the press conference. You get a cookie afterwards. He's like, Deep. <laughs> at least it wasn't pudding, right? I mean, that's the. <laughs> I'm sorry, I won't go there. Um, so here's the other issue that we've been talking about now for a long time that this administration has had a real blind spot for, and it's the issue of law and order, crime, and we're seeing this in community communities across the country. It is sort of shocking to me that this administration has not tried to put any emphasis. They just don't want to talk about it, right? As though it doesn't exist. Wait, wait, wait. When they were running, Kamala wanted to raise money to get people out of bail. She did. She, yeah. No, she just she did that. Yeah. And I think crime, there's so many issues, but I think crime is going to continue to climb. Because remember, this problem was created by Democrats. Their whole mantra in the last Congress, defund the police. And now... We're reaping from that. Then the whole movement of the socialist Democrats um, electing these DAs over after over. I mean, we have train robberies in California now. And it, what is this, the 1920s? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, but you know what's so sad? That was identified by a person on Twitter in October. You got a supply chain problem, everybody else, and no one did a thing. And now they want to blame, you know, Biden's good about blaming everybody else. Union Pacific was catching the people, they were arresting them. But were they just revolving coming back? There's no ramifications. Smug's thinking about a six shooter and a ten gallon hat at this point. <laughs> and I mean, I think I mean that's a very important issue. Is the Democrats have kind of figured out they have very unpopular views and they want to sidestep legislation for law and order and just get these DAs elected who just it turns cities into a free for all. Yeah, and look, national security is going to be a major issue in this upcoming election. And every step they've taken has undermined America's national security and our allies around the world. Look at Israel. Right now, you've got Iran again moving towards a nuclear weapon. We know what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, you can look all around the globe. But here domestically, uh, they 
absolutely were encouraging tacitly, overtly, the defund police movement. Uh, so many other things they did. Like, I would not be here today without the heroism and bravery of police to save my life. And all these communities across the country, when you see them burning down cities, burning down police stations, shooting at cops, killing cops, where did you see the outrage from Democrat leaders? You know, you had Kamala talking about raising money for people who were out there burning some of these cities down. But it permeates through, and people see this, and it sends a message to criminals when they encourage these DAs to get elected on a platform that we're not going to charge anybody with crimes, knowing what that's going to do in communities. And so people are revolting against it. People want and deserve to be safe and secure in their communities, and they're not right now because of this Democrat approach of defunding police, uh, really pushing back. Uh, and no, cops know that those communities, they don't have their back. And we need to let them know we've got their back. And I think voters definitely understand that this is a result of unified far-left Democrat government. Look no further than the state of New York. Look at the past election cycle. Even look at the mayoral race. Uh, you had a former law enforcement officer who won the Democratic primary against far-left candidates. It's because people are fed up. Communities are fed up as they see the skyrocketing crime, the historic numbers of homicides in over 16 cities. It's the highest number of homicides ever this past year. So it's out of control. And we have an opportunity as Republicans to stand for security, to stand by our law enforcement. There's not a clearer contrast, but voters are smart, and particularly when we think about the suburbs, I think it's a real opportunity. We saw that in New York when we swept in many of the local elections this past fall. These DAs want to pick and choose which law that they're going to prosecute on? I mean, just this week, we have a young, beautiful girl going to UCLA murdered by somebody out on parole. You've got a woman who's going to the hospital to work as a nurse at 70 years old, gets punched by the homeless, falls down, dies in the hospital right there. In New York, you had a woman pushed onto the subway. Exactly. Unbelievable. Then you look at what happened in Wisconsin. Yeah. This guy was in jail for running over his wife or girlfriend, and he's out on a thousand bucks. And yeah. I mean, it's horrific. But this is their policies, yeah. and they still profess it to this day. And there's real selective morality when it comes to this, too, right? There's this sort of generalized outrage about people being harmed by crime, but no actual necessity of doing anything to protect people at all, right? Like you mentioned the DAs and this effort that they've had underground for, you know, gosh, it must be Soros a decade. Soros has been funding these. He, he put yeah. $2 million in the San Diego race. I mean, he goes into all these cities. It, it's a movement. He would fund secretary of states and DAs, and, and attorney generals. It, it's hard to understand, I think, from most of the American people, it's hard to understand how you can come to a place ideologically where you don't feel like you need to prosecute crime. Well, like, think of this. Where does that, where does, I mean, I don't even understand that. I've never met anybody. Who what about that. if you had the biggest law enforcement officer in the country, the attorney general? Oh, what yeah. if he thought the most important crime was parents who had come to a school board meeting to question what their children, there must be terrorists. But what if you found out later that the secretary of education asked the group to send them a letter, and then we find out through questioning that the Attorney General based this all on this letter that was requested by the own administration to go do it. In the teachers' unions, the union bosses told the White House to manipulate the CDC data to ultimately change the narrative on what CDC was going to say about kids getting back in school. All the science says kids should be back in school, and then you still see Democrats, when you have to pick a side, teachers' union bosses or kids they pick the teachers' union bosses against the kids every single time, causing 
devastating damage to well, me. Well, you all deserve a lot of credit for that because I don't think any of us would have ever known. They certainly wouldn't have told us if you didn't all work in an oversight uh, capacity to get out that information because they were hiding it. And like you said, they manipulated the entire thing to try to get this into the front burner of the DOJ. Look, if there's one thing we're going to be able to do in the majority is hold them accountable. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because we can't do that now. It's so difficult. <laughs> and we got a lot of places to President said yesterday has nothing to apologize for Afghanistan. Well, we have 13 Gold Star families that need an apology and want to know why did that happen. We've got an IRS going back to the time when Obama was in the presidency putting people's tax returns out. We've got an AG that's going after parents. I mean, we have issue after issue. And what the Democrats have done here is, is stymie any ability for us to get any of the information. No question. It's a good segue to talk about the issue of education, honestly. And I think there's a lot of parents like me and, and others out there who, during COVID, was our first real opportunity to see inside a classroom, right? And I think what has happened as a result is you get a lot of moms and dads out there who are not only engaged in a very real way in terms of their kids going to the classroom, but the curriculum is now super important to them. And it doesn't typically happen on the conservative side, right? It's always been sort of a left of center issue for some reason. Now it's not. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Sure. So I serve on the education committee. I'm also a new mom, and I'm already planning Sam's curriculum, you know, four years from now when he goes he to nursery school. He had more school. books when he was born. Than, he had a whole yeah, library. Yeah, the whole nursery library. Um, but on a very serious note, I think when we look back historically during the COVID pandemic, the people who uh, were hurt the most were seniors in nursing homes in New York, but across the country, it was kids. Kids who were forced to learn remotely, which we know is ineffective. We have seen mental health crises go through the roof. You've seen the number of suicides of middle schoolers and high schoolers uh, increase. This is absolutely unacceptable. And you know, I hate to say the positive, but the positive to your point, Josh, is parents are engaged. Parents are now empowered to ask good questions and make sure their kids get the best education possible. We want parents to be engaged. Republicans stand to support parents is a very stark contrast with what the Democrats approach is, calling them domestic terrorists. Um, we introduce a Parents' Bill of Rights. That's going to be one of our key agenda items when we earn the majority. And I think that's something that crosses party lines. We know that's not a Republican issue. It it works with all voters across America. Uh, but I think that's the positive uh, glimmer of hope that we can fix this. And the best indicator of a student's success is their parents being involved in their education. Contrast that. That's going to be one of our first 10 bills. It's not going to be to try to protect yourselves from no, getting... No. No. <laughs> <laughs> but look, school choice is going to be one of those glaring yes. topics this year. And you could see it in the Virginia race when Youngkin ran on this platform of, you know, here you had McAuliffe out there, given the Democrat Party agenda, saying kid parents shouldn't be involved in their kids' education. Parents, even liberal parents, before they're liberal, they're a parent. And they care about their kids' education. And so giving parents more options. If the union bosses want to shut down your school, shouldn't you have the opportunity to go to another school that wants to take the money and actually teach your kids in the classroom? And I think that's going to be a hot issue all across this country, and we're surely going to be talking about it. No question. It reminds me a little bit of the, the early onset of the Obamacare days when all of a sudden the biggest applause line was over health care issues and all these down halls. And the biggest applause line right now is education, right? It's, it's, it shouldn't be a party issue. I mean, it doesn't no. matter who you are, what county you live in, what part of the country. When you have a child, 
It is now the most important thing in your life. You will give your life for this child. And it's no longer what you become, it's what opportunities you're going to provide this. And to have Terry McAuliffe stand up and say, you don't have a say in your kid's education. And you know what's interesting? If you read the Washington Post analysis after that debate, they literally write, I won't get the words exactly right, they said, he turned the campaign around. This was the best night. He turned it around all right. That was the moment. <laughs> Drove it into a cliff, right? <laughs> no, I, I think that's right. And and you also see, you know, the issue of not only kids being in school, but things like critical race theory, right? And these incredibly well, not devices. every kid is in school. You're right. Well, according to Joe Biden uh, yesterday, yeah. they're all in school. Yeah, you should, somebody should tell the and, Chicago. And there's still food on the shelves. <laughs> yes, yeah. so, my my son's uh, school was closed today for rain. Uh, <laughs> yeah. An hour, hour, hour of rain this morning, and they decided we're going to close up shop. What happens if it's cloudy or sunny? Yeah. <laughs> a light drizzle does the trick, though. Last week, more than five thousand schools in America were closed. Yeah. And by the way, part of the the bills that Joe Biden passed, the trillions of dollars they gave billions of dollars to school systems. Two billion dollars of taxpayer money went to Chicago for opening their schools. They took the money and they close the schools. I say we make them give the money back. Yes, you want to close right. the schools, give the money back so the parents can send their kid to a school that's willing to be open. A lot of that money is not going to the to two or three years later and why they have to pass it. I mean, they create inflation like this. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's this leads to a broader topic of COVID, right? Because they've used this pandemic as as they always do, right? As Rahm Emanuel used to say, you can never let a good crisis go to waste. And they've used the pandemic uh, as an opportunity to try to achieve far-lasting liberal goals, right? But like you just said, they appropriate $2 trillion of money. It just evaporates. It doesn't change the school system at all, right? All the things that they said they were going to do in that first COVID bill, we don't even have tests. We don't even have the basic treatments that we now know work. More people have died from COVID in the last year than the year before. And think about this. When COVID hit with President Trump in, he created three vaccines. Biden comes in, it took him a while to realize he didn't create the vaccines, <laughs> but he had the vaccines and more people died. He spends 1.9 trillion, says it's for COVID, and he doesn't have any tests. You're gonna, you're gonna request it online in the mail. For everybody in Southern California, you're gonna find it on the side of the train tracks. Not gonna be there for you. and the management of it. You watched anything that he has touched from Afghanistan and now what he's done with Ukraine. Yeah. Well, and he, he blamed Donald Trump for, for COVID. And that's the reason, you know, in, in his campaign for president, he said, I'm going to, you know, shut down the virus, mm -hmm. right? And then he becomes president. And he passes that bill. He can't get anything done. He doesn't order the tests. And then it was like a month or two ago. He gets all those governors. Order it. He declines right. it in the meetings. He right. declined it. He said no. And, and, and then he has that uh, press conference with all the governors and says, there isn't a federal solution to COVID, it turns out. Now that he's president, there's no federal solution. We've and then, got a hearing then he goes in a few on minutes. vacation to Rehoboth Beach. You, Unbelievable. You know why I did that? Because he's watched Fauci take every single position. <laughs> right. I remember at the very beginning being in the Situation Room and Fauci lecturing us, do not wear a mask. The, the humidity you get from the mask, you, you could actually, it could affect you to get COVID. You could get away the mask. And, he, and it, it could not have come from China. It could not have come from China. That, that was his, he had no information yet, but that's what he said. Incredible. I, I mean, I love watching Jim Jordan or, or Kelly um, question him. I mean, he went from no mask to one mask to two masks. 
Well, so, so if I could follow up on the on the uh, oversight question as it relates to COVID, because mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned a lot in there that I think is fantastic that we could do with a Republican House majority. We will find where this originated. Thank you. That's, that's, that's it. Oh, I knew you. That's, that's it. the question. <laughs> it's that's all I wanted to know. It's a seminal question, you know. And and where did where did COVID or, origin? If you look at some of the hearings, we've called for hearings from day one for over a year. I know Jim is on the select subcommittee on coronavirus with me, and we've been calling on them to hold a hearing on that from day one. We finally held our own hearing in this room because uh, the Democrats wouldn't do it, so we brought in experts, Democrat, Republican, medical experts, scientists. Every one of them testified that they believe that it started in the lab in Wuhan, that it was genetically manipulated. It wasn't. They still won't have a hearing. And then you look at all the money they've spent to try to cover this up. Why would they want to cover it up? If it started in China in the lab in Wuhan, why wouldn't they want the public to know when China lied about it and said for, for weeks said, nope, nothing's going on here. We could have saved hundreds of thousands of lives if we would have known that early off. So we're absolutely going to be having hearings into the COVID origins. What about all of these emails that we're trying to find out? We're just getting some emails coming out that showed there were scientists in Dr. Fauci's sphere. He had an advisory board. Some of them were advising him that they thought it started in the lab in Wuhan. Next thing you know, they had a secret meeting offline. The emails disappeared. And then about two days later, they all come out and say it didn't start in the lab. Some of them got multi-million dollar grants from that same agency. I'm sure that had no Why don't we look into that? (laughs) And, and, you know, if you're in China and you stop the domestic flights, but you keep the international ones, I'm sure that had nothing to do with COVID in that area. (laughs) Or if Australia says they want to investigate where it started and you say the first place you're going to send your nuclear weapons is to Australia and you try to cut them off economically, I'm sure that had nothing to do. Or if you try to influence the World Health Organization to determine what they can say, I'm sure they had nothing to do with it. But, you know, next month the world will be in China for the Olympics. They have killed more people in the last two years, why would they be rewarded in any shape or form? And who's going to be there with them? Putin. They're going to have a little discussion. This is the 100th year since the Soviet Union was created. You want to know why Putin wants to go and have a bridge, land bridge to Crimea and Ukraine and everywhere else? He wants the Soviet Union sphere to come back. And he just had the world leader sit at the White House and pretty much invite him for a small incursion. Why the president of Ukraine says, you know what, world powers, there is no such thing. A small incursion is an invasion, and that is so true. I mean, you had this president give Putin essentially a monopoly on power in Eastern Europe, Nord Stream, when he's cutting Keystone XL here domestically. But he did more. When Ted Cruz put an amendment on the floor to stop it, it was his administration whipping to kill that amendment. So what does Putin think as he sits back? I don't even need to hire a lobbyist. I've got the White House to do it for me. They can't pass Build Back Better, but they can sure kill and make sure Putin gets a pipeline. And That's their only accomplishment. Because they shut down drilling in America early off, shut down drilling on federal lands, killed the Keystone Pipeline, made it harder to get permits, 
And then what does Joe Biden do? Because he tells everybody, don't worry, it's about saving the planet. Mm -hmm. Except it wasn't, because what did he do? He begged OPEC and Russia to produce more oil. Well, first of all, if you're worried about carbon emissions, they emit a whole lot more carbon in, in those countries, Middle Eastern countries, Russia, than we do here in America, because we actually have higher standards. Mm -hmm. You should be making more things here, more oil, more natural gas, more products here, instead of shipping those jobs overseas, increasing emissions, and strengthening our enemies abroad. He did all of that in a year. American natural gas is 42% cleaner than Russia. Because on the East Coast they shut down pipelines, there's an oil, there's a Russian tanker sitting on the East Coast providing oil and natural gas. Ugh, outrageous. It's crazy. Well, and look, the downstream impact that the decision he made to get out of Afghanistan in the manner that he decided to do it is obviously had the rest of the world react in a very serious way. I mean, clearly Russia is is motivated entirely by what he sees as, what they see as incredible weakness. China in regards to Taiwan, got to imagine it's the same thing. Talk to me a little bit about what, all of that. The ramifications of what he did in Afghanistan will will be decades. It's not just our adversaries, it's our allies. Not returning a phone call to Boris in the UK. Remember who's there, right? Fighting for us. They didn't get attacked on September 11th, but they're risking their lives. They're leaving their constituents, and they have people there. They ask for an extension. The president goes on TV and tells America he will not leave till all Americans are out. There are so many members on this side, and I'll tell someone on the other side, that work to get the Americans out, and our hardest way, the, the, the roadblock we had was our State Department fighting us. We had people on planes ready to go, and they were being denied. I mean, then to provide them this military. I mean, the Taliban has better helicopters than Australia does today. They, they have a bigger air force than two-thirds of NATO. So is it a coincidence that Putin decides to go along the border of Ukraine? Is it a coincidence that the next day uh, China communication goes to Taiwan? What do you think America is going to do for you? You know, Elise sits on Intel. She's on, on armed services. She watches a lot of this. Yeah, what I was going to say is for Joe Biden to say at his press conference yesterday that he has no apologies just shows how out of touch he is. You ask any American, that was an un-American decision. That was a surrender by the commander-in-chief. And I represent Fort Drum, home of the 10th Mountain Division, the most deployed unit in the U.S. Army since 9-11, so deployment after deployment to Afghanistan, mm -hmm. the impact this has had broadly on our veterans community is, is significant. The mental health issues, the challenges they're facing, uh, they feel that this president has turned their back on them. And you are right, Josh, and the leader is right, that our adversaries are watching very closely. They feel that they uh, our allies can't count on America, but they sense weakness. And what happens in the first year of a presidency? Any new president is tested. They are tested by their adversaries. And Joe Biden has failed those tests, whether it was the cyber attacks from Russia, where he gave a list saying, okay, other cyber attacks, okay, except on these industries. <laughs> I mean, it's weakness. I mean, I could never imagine the U.S would have something like Saigon, the evacuation that happened again. And it, this somehow became worse. You had 13 members of our armed services killed. And no answer. They, they, uh, Joe Biden ended up drone striking a van full of kids. Why would you pull out in summer and why wouldn't it be in winter? Why would a president's own intel, he believed that they had no problems, told the American people what just a month before? Right? When everybody else knew something differently. But it doesn't just lie responsibility with this president. It also lies with Adam Schiff. 
Yes. Adam Schiff runs the Intel Committee, but he changed it. It's no longer an Intel Committee. We have two Intel Committee members right here, Elise and Brad. He changed it to a political committee. All he does is politics when his eyes should have been somewhere else. There should have been a warning somewhere else. It's created unbelievable damage to this nation for years to come. And Joe Biden talks about, quote unquote, this over the horizon capability. When you don't have military support for your intelligence community, you are going to not have access to the best on the ground intelligence. And from the state of New York, which is attacked on 9-11, uh, that has impacts on our overall national security. We know ISIS and Al Qaeda and other terrorist organizations are stronger today as a result of this withdrawal. Uh, and it's going to have severe impacts on our capabilities to have the best intelligence possible. And what angers people the most is this was completely unavoidable. It was completely avoidable. Uh, the loss of life was avoidable. We had no loss of life for a year and a half under President Trump. Biden comes in. If, even if you wanted to pull everybody out, you dictate. You're the commander-in-chief of the United States. You can dictate how you do it. The first thing you do is you get all Americans out. Yeah. You get our allies, those those interpreters, the people that actually help save the lives of American service members. You get them out. You know probably should get out the $85 billion of the world's best military technology, including C-130s that they left behind. Look, under Carter, you had a, 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 a confidence crisis. Today, you've got a crisis of competence. Mm -hmm. How do you leave behind $85 billion in military equipment for a terrorist organization to get? You could have put it on the C-130s and flown it out. He didn't do that. That's the kind of accountability we need to have. Well, uh, last week I was actually speaking to a gentleman who was involved with uh, Pineapple Express to help get Americans out of Afghanistan in that situation. And he brought up something that isn't really discussed is Bagram Air Base, which the, the Biden prison. administration completely abandoned, which uh, they had Andorral Towers. They had all these fortifications, uh, capability to monitor and protect anyone who would be there. And the administration decided to abandon that and chose an airport that ended up being attacked multiple times. You have different runways there. They abandoned in the middle of the night, didn't tell our allies. You have a prison there of yeah. 5,000 of probably the worst people in the world. Where did the suicide bomber come who killed our 13 Americans? From that prison. Unbelievable. And they shut... The that should have never been shut down, period. Never. That is over the horizon. That is where you could provide to go out. And by the way, that was Joe Biden's decision. We now know that many of his military advisors said that was gonna be an issue, the decision he made regarding Bagram. We know, and he needs to be held accountable for this. Remember what we're doing right now, the minority. We have already started making, preserving all those documents. We've sent the letters out. This will be a place we have accountability to. American public needs to know what, because this never should happen again. Never. Never, never should have happened there, but you can't, you can't protect yourself from having it until you know why it happened, who made these decisions, and not. Yeah. You know, it keeps coming back to what Secretary Gates warned us about. Yeah. Long before the election, he said <laughs> Biden's, any of the, his foreign policy's decisions are always wrong for like 40 years. <laughs> they are. Obama warned us about it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Dividing up Iraq. Remember that one? Yeah, they get a bunch Taking of Taking up Bin Laden. Yeah. He was the last guy to leave the room, urged against it. Thank <laughs> goodness. Yeah, yeah. Obama didn't listen to him. The problem is now, and when everybody else leaves the room, he's the guy still in the room, and he makes the final call. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we're paying the price. Yeah, and we've suffered the consequences. All right, so we're going to lighten it up a little bit. Okay. We play games here on Ruthless. Yeah. Uh, this one's called Dem or Journo. 
Demogorno, 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 Demogorno. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Right. So we have an adaptation to the rules today. Yeah. Typically, the way that the game is played is I read four statements to Smug and to Josh. They have to decide, you know, which is the dem operative and which ones are the journalists. Um, but because we have you three here, uh, we're going to do the format a little bit different. Um, so we have three rounds of two statements. Um, each round is themed on one of you. Uh, so sorry, I didn't say these this things like about you. Yeah, this is like reading mean tweets. This is like mean tweets. That's unfair because I probably have much more than any of them. <laughs> I don't know, Kevin. I've been pretty. It was, very, it was very easy to find yours. <laughs> but but to keep it interesting, because we know you know people read their own clips. You have to guess it about your colleagues, right? Oh, okay. Okay. So. Right. Right. So I think what we'll do is we'll have, you know Steve and Elise play the round where we read McCarthy's. <laughs> okay, so that will be round one. <laughs> it's worse. Whew. <laughs> A couple of doozies. Oh here. gosh. Hard to find one, right? Okay, this is um, on your um, you know, marathon floor speech, meet into the house. Could you believe I went that long without yeah, the bathroom? That was really quite impressive. Very impressive. <laughs> Shattered Pelosi's record. I'm still shocked by myself. Did you, did you have diapers ready? Or were you, you know, my chief went and got them. I said, I can't wear that. I never worn one because if I wore one, I would have stopped and smiled if I had to use it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The record would have been no longer. <laughs> All right. Get ready for this. Uh, statement number one. The whole speech felt like a circular loop spouting what sounded like a Mad Libs of Republican attacks. Statement number two. During this evening's temper tantrum, Minority Leader McCarthy did everything he could to avoid talking about the deficit-reducing inflation crushing Build Back Better Act. Which is the Dem... Which is the journal? So you first one Dem, second journal. I disagree. I think the first one is MSNBC. The second one is a Dem. Oh, I love this. I love this. Elise is correct, and that was the New York Times. Oh, okay. Incredible, unbelievable. Is it amazing the journals are yeah. better at political yeah. attacks than Democrats? <laughs> you missed that night because AOC went crazy and Tim Ryan. That's what got. I didn't think I could go that long, right? Because I didn't know it was going to happen that day, but they kind of pissed me off because they were yelling at me. <laughs> so it inspired me. Well done. Uh, I got to read that New York Times. This is the best part of the quote. Spouting what sounded like a Mad Libs of Republican attacks. <laughs> attacks. In the New York Times. It's, yeah. Well, it wasn't pouncing or seizing. So. Yeah, it's easy. It didn't pounce. <laughs> All okay. Right. Round two. Yes. So let's see which one we want to do here. Okay, well, we'll just move on down, Steve. Um, so Leader McCarthy. Okay, Steve this is on complaint. Steve. Yeah. <sighs> Scalise released a video claiming that Democrats actually are purveyors of vaccine misinformation. This is a classic example of whataboutism. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, statement number two. In today's GOP, if you won't double down on the big lie and take your cues from Steve Scalise, get out of the way for someone who will. I think they're both 
Jake Tapper. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that counts as dem operative, right? <laughs> I think the first one's the journal, the second one's the dem. Okay. Correct again. See, I'm an expert oh. in New York. Oh. I'm an expert. Yeah. And uh, the uh, the that on the first, the first one, the whataboutism. Uh, that was Kessler uh, doing a fact check. Oh, that's oh. That, that was a fact check. This is the guy that fact check. You know what he did? <laughs> okay. We don't I love this time. Guy. I won the lottery when I was 20. 30 years later, he doesn't think I won the lottery. <laughs> he calls the guy I was with. Then I opened a deli. I don't think it was really a deli. He fact checked the whole your thing. Deli? Yes. <laughs> Why? Really? Delis today still sell the sandwich I sold. He called the guy. He, the guy was with me at the grocery store when I bought it and won the lottery, won the first days. And he goes, did he really win? <laughs> this fact check whether we're on the stage. Have the best chicken salad sandwich for Pinocchios. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, uh, winning the lottery and then opening a deli is an incredible first yes. move. <laughs> you couldn't make that up, right? <laughs> you know what was more incredible? I won the deli. I was 20 years old. It was Friday night. Five thousand dollars most can win in 1985, and I was on my way to San Diego State to visit some buddies at college. So I ended up ten minutes from Tijuana, and I came back with the five grand. Yeah, I just won. And it. you made it back. I made it back. That's actually you're a small minority you of people that we get that done. Sir. I, took, I took my folks to dinner. Gave my brother each hundred bucks. I took the majority of the rest. Of my, I put it all in one stock. Made thirty percent of my money in less than six weeks. I stopped school the next semester. I tried to buy a franchise. No one started my own deli. Made enough money. Sold it. Going to college, paid my way through college, and then there was an article to be a summer intern in Washington, D.C. with my local congressman, Bill Thomas. I didn't know him, but I thought he'd be lucky to have me. I applied, and he turned me down. <laughs> the end of the story, I'm now elected to the seat I could never get an internship for. <laughs> Smog, that sounds like the kind of responsibility you would have if you won the lottery and went to Tijuana, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the amazing he thing is... He wouldn't come back. No, no. 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 Well, who would you say is the best stock picker in Congress? Is it Pelosi? <laughs> oh. Paul. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's fair. She beats Warren Buffett, but you're the, you're, you are the speaker. You determine what bills come forward. You don't literally pick stock. No, you pick options, right? And pick the options way out there and pick them on technology, right? And then when the bill comes up, you have no control over that, but you make $5 million in a month. The first thing you should do when you get asked a question like that in a press conference, say we have a free market and tell the House administration that you appoint all to, you're responsible. <laughs> yeah. Yuck. That's another thing we'll change when we're in the majority. Yeah, there you go. Members will have to come here to vote. They can't be home. Yes. And we're not going to let her make $5 million a month. I don't know. Did she really buy that house in, in Florida or no? I don't, I don't no? No. No. Well. It's too cheap for her. She made enough money. Story. Fact check. <laughs> story, right, let's go, story was too let's good. Let's go to Elise. Check. Did they say anything mean about Elise? Yeah, they No way. Sure. Oh. You don't get a guess this time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're an all star. Yeah, it's amazing. I think you gave them to him. <laughs> Statement number one Stefanik and the House GOP are recycling the same racist and xenophobic <laughs> playbook. I already know who wrote this. They used it. <laughs> See, that's why they, they have to guess, not you. In 2018, that ultimately cost them the house. So that's statement number one. Statement number two, if there's anything that needs replacing in this country and in the Republican Party, it's the hateful rhetoric that Ms. Stefanik and far too many of her colleagues so seamlessly spew. 
<laughs> All right, I'm going to go. Where do I want to go? Journalist or, or who's first? You <laughs> know. <laughs> okay, Baseball I'm going to go dim journalist. Wrong. Journal dumb. <laughs> uh, the second one was the journalist. That was. Oh, he was right. Oh, oh, wow. How are you better at theirs than yours? <laughs> oh the only one she got wrong was hers. She doesn't read her own press. <laughs> Unbelievable. I was almost sure. Well, wait, that. you gave him the answer. You didn't even get. Oh, you I, made I, a guess. I got, right, I got very excited. I the first, who said that? I thought the first one was it the It was Washington the Albany uh, Times Union. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I, okay. That's they're, 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 by the way, lovely. They're, they're huge fans. Paper We've noticed. Loves you. <laughs> We've noticed. We're like, uh, when we were talking about t- pulling these statements, we're like, oh, just go to the Albany. Go to the Times Union. They'll take care of it. You'll get a one-stop shop. She said there are a bunch of Democrat socialists in Washington. They gave her 10 Pinocchio. <laughs> Who you thought did that? Albany Times Union. Did you think it was Albany? Who did no, you think it was? I thought it was the Washington Post. Um, Who did you think the first one was? I thought it was the Washington Post, but Albany Times Union, they've even written worse. That's yeah. how bad they are. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, listen, we've hit our time, and I want to thank you all, A, for your leadership. This has been an incredible year for Republicans to be able to not only get back on our feet, but begin drawing serious contrast, which is what a, a dangerous administration this has been. I know you'll continue to do it. I know you all are going to be in very different seats next November. Um, but I, more importantly, I want to thank you for inviting the Ruthless Variety program here to the House of Representatives. You want to know why we did? No, I don't. I just want, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know who Smug was. We want to <laughs> Secret cell. I could do the pod on the phone, but I never knew who Smug was. Well, I want to be ground zero for the red wave. It's looking like this is going to be a big Y'all need to come here when we take uh, back the House. Let's go. Yes. Yeah, if that's we, a deal. If we are fortunate to win the majority, but if we are fortunate to win 35 seats, it will be the largest majority in almost 100 years. Unbelievable. I can't wait. Your lips to God's ears. That's right. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Again, thank you so much to uh, the teams over at Leader McCarthy's, Chairwoman Stefanik, uh, Stefanik, I apologize, and uh, Steve Scalise. It, it was, falls into your Peloton. Uh, yeah. yeah. I apologize for the inflection. <laughs> it, was, it was a beautiful event. And thank you, everyone, not just who was there at the live stream. Apparently, a ton of folks were seeing that. Yeah. And at least Stefanik, well, I mean, good at the game, huh? Right? Oh, man. The only, she one she got, the only one she got wrong was the one about herself. <laughs> was her own. Was her own. Yeah. Absolute superstar. But in all seriousness, not only the members, which, listen, Kevin McCarthy, Steve, Steve Scalise, Annalise Stefanik were terrific, undoubtedly. So were their staffs. Yeah. Right? And everybody gets it. They're all very humble about what they're trying to do. I really appreciate it. Great vibes, by the way. Everybody had a really upbeat, incredibly good outlook on what they're trying to accomplish. Just happy to be a part of it. Again, Elise saying earning the majority. That's the mindset. That's the mindset. You got to grind. We're going to get this red wave. Beautiful thing. So, until next time, minions. Keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.